So today, we're back into the book of Genesis, and um, I'm wondering, how many of you are familiar with the story of when Abraham finds Isaac's wife? Okay? So some of you are not. It's a story. Let me tell you, kind of give you a, a summary, without having to read the whole thing, of the story of when Abraham, remember who Abraham is? He's the, the first chosen man, the patriarch that God chooses and said, Abraham, up to this point, I have been dealing with humanity as a whole. But from this point on, I am going to have a special focus on a, on a special nation I'm going to raise up. And I've got to start with a certain man. He chose Abraham. And out of Abraham, he brings the nation of Israel. And out of Israel, he brings the Messiah. And so it was all part of a plan to bring a Savior into the world. And so this is Abraham, and he has a son. Remember, it's the son of his old age, um, and it's this miracle son. He has him, and his son is getting kind of old, or Abraham's getting old, and his son is getting old, and he realizes it's time for his son Isaac to have a wife. Now, he doesn't want any, just any old wife for his son. He wants the right wife. And I want to stop for a second. It has nothing to do with the story, but I want to tell you something to every single person who's not married here and still is under the influence of mom and dad. I'm talking about... Joshua's in the room. Um, those kinds of people. People who are, you might be 12, you might be 18, you might be 32, but you're not yet married. I want to tell you something is absolute truth. Nobody cares more about who you marry than your mom and your dad. And we live in a society that doesn't care what mom and dad thinks. I'm going to tell you, moms and dads love you more than anybody on the planet, and they want you to make a good choice for your spouse more than anybody on the planet does. And so the worst thing you can do is say, I'm not going to take care of what mom and dad thinks. You know, I think she's beautiful. I think she's whatever. And mom and dad are saying, time out, red flags, mistake, mistake, mistake. You know what? doesn't mean that every time we have to fall in line with that because we do become adults and sometimes God will lead you in a way and maybe mom and dad aren't believers or something along that. There's all kinds of scenarios. But for the most part, mom and dad want the best for their kids. Right, moms and dads? So I tell my kids, remember when you're dating, nobody cares more about this than me and your mother. And we will help you and guide you to make good decisions in your life. And Josh says, amen. Or oh me. And so does Brett. So anyways, a little aside for the story of Abraham here. Abraham's getting old. Isaac's growing up. Isaac's about 40. And he wants a son for his son, a wife for his son Isaac. And this is a special son, the son that's a miracle child that God has said, you will have this son and out of him will come a mighty nation and the whole world will be blessed because of, because of this. And so, very, so Isaac or Abraham, in wanting to have a selection of his son, is very insistent that um, his son, his wife's, um, his son's wife rather, come from his relatives back in the homeland. Remember, he's living in the promised land. He's a sojourner. He's left his home and he's come to a country, said God will show him where it is. He's, he's in the promised land and he's from an area called Mesopotamia. And that's where the family is, that's the old country. And he says, listen, I want a son from, for my wife, not from these people around here, the Canaanites. There's a reason for that. He says, I don't want my son to be influenced negatively by this group of people and by their false beliefs. And he says, I want my son to have the influence of my history and my, of my lineage. And so he wants a son, a wife for his son, who comes from the old country, from the Canaanites. So he goes to his, his leading servant. It says it's his oldest servant. And remember, he's a rich man with all these servants and all this wealth. He goes to his oldest servant, his most trustworthy man, and he has him take an oath. 
And he says, I want you to travel back to my homeland, back to Mesopotamia, and I want you to find a, lo- a wife for Isaac. And so he does this, this oath that's kind of weird to us, and I, you know, for all people make reasons for the significance. I'm not sure what it is, but he, he kneels down and he puts his hand under Abraham's thigh and he swears an oath. He says, I will do my best. I will go back and I will try to, I will try to find the wife that God has for your son. So he loads up ten camels full of all kinds of supplies and all kinds of gifts and he sets out for the homeland for Mesopotamia. And when he arrives there, it says he stops right when he gets into the land, and he stops at a well in the evening. And remember, they didn't have running water back then, so he starts at a well where it's dug into the ground, and they haul the water up by buckets. And he stops there with his ten camels and his people that are traveling with him. And it's the time of the day, it's in the evening, it says, when the women come out to draw water from the well. Now, ladies... Don't ever complain about, about uh, equal rights. The ladies in those days were the servants, and basically of families, and they went out during the day. The guys are sitting back in the, in the tent drinking espresso, and the ladies are carrying buckets of water out of the well. And that's the way it was back then. And he comes up with his camels. They need some water. And uh, he's watching them as they're getting the water, and he prays to God doesn't say there was ever any reason that he prayed this prayer. doesn't say even the Lord necessarily led him to it. We, know it was, we believe it was spirit-led because he prays a prayer and he says, Lord, have one of these women who is drawing water right now be the wife for my son, or my, my, my master's son. And the way I want to know if it is, Lord, is I'm going to say to one of them, can I have some water? And when I ask her for water, she'll say, sure, here's some water. And why don't you wait? I'll also draw water for all of your camels. That's a pretty big job. How much water do ten camels drink? A lot. And so he's sitting there and he's praying this prayer. And right at that time, a lady, he doesn't know who she is, a young lady. It says about her, her name is Rebecca and she's a virgin. And it says he doesn't know that. And she comes walking by and he goes, hey, miss, can I have a drink of water? And she goes, sure, you can have a drink of water. Not only that, let me water all your camels. Now he laid out a fleece. That's a pretty big fleece. I don't know how many ladies just offer to draw water for ten camels. And so he sits there and he, it doesn't say he jumps off and helps her. He lets her get water for ten camels. And she gets all the water and she, she waters the camels and she finds out, he asks her who she is and he finds out from talking to her that she is one of Abraham's distant relatives. And he says, God, I think this might be it. So he does something. He takes a gold ring and he puts it on her nose. So for all you who freak out about nose rings, been around for a while, okay? Puts a gold ring on her nose and gold bracelets on her wrists and says, can I come to your house, which is her father's house? And she goes, she takes him to her father's house and she it's obviously runs ahead and tells the people what's happening and they get there and they, she meets her relatives and her father and other, other relatives of Abraham and he tells them the story. They say, let's eat together. And he goes, now time out before we eat. I got to tell you why I'm here. The thing is a funny story. This guy is a total stranger. He's got 10 camels full of stuff so you know he's got some resources. He is, you've never met this guy before. He comes breezing into town. Your daughter, daughter just gave him some camel some water. He sits down and he says, let me tell you my business. My business is this. I want this lady to be my master's son's wife. Well, where do you live? Across town? No. We live like 400 miles away by camel, you know, and uh, I want to take her back to the promised land. And this is, what, this is what the father says. He looks at what happens and he says, I conclude this must be of God because of the way it's all worked out. He says, you can take her. 
And they ask Rebecca, and Rebecca agrees to go, and, and they venture off to go back to be, to, be his, uh, to be Isaac's wife. Now, that's a little bit different than we get, than we get paired up, isn't it? Uh, quite a bit different. How would you like that, ladies? One day you're doing whatever, some laundry, because she was doing the watering, and your dad says, by the way, this guy breathes into town, and you're going to be his master's son's wife. Get on your camel and go. And, uh, and she does it. That's the amazing thing. She does it. They ask her. And she goes, yeah, I'll go. You know, God was in it, and it all works out. So that's, that's the way they get, they get paired. That's the story we're, we're looking at today. Right in the middle of this story, there's a verse that reveals a principle that, that is tied to the whole operation of this thing, a principle that I think is incredibly appropriate for us to pay attention to today. And it's a principle about a concept that is incredibly relevant to where we are at right now in our calendar. Um, you know, we're coming to the, we've closed the books on 2010, and we're just opening and beginning to write out what 2011 will look like. And there's a verse that's very significant at, a, at this kind of transition time. Grab your Bible with me. The story we've been talking about is found in Genesis 24. If you're new to your Bible, Genesis is the first book easy to find. I love it when people don't know where to turn because it means they've just begun to learn the Bible. And I want people who can find the verse like that always in church and those who say, what's a Bible? That whole mix. And as we grow together. Genesis 24. We're going to look at just one verse. Actually, let's back up and let's start at verse, in verse, chapter 24, verse 6. Um, and we're going to focus on verse 7. It says, Then Abraham said... This is what he's saying um, to his servant we talked about. Beware that you do not take my son back there. Now look at the exclamation point. Don't take him back there. Back there being the homeland because he knows he'll stay. He says don't take him back to his, old, his relatives. Keep him here in the promised land because God's got a plan for him. So dad's also looking out for his son so he doesn't blow the, 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 the plan of God. Don't take him back there. And then verse 7. And the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son there. I'm going to stop right there. You say, well, that doesn't seem to reveal a whole lot to me about being relevant to where I'm at ending 2010 and starting 2011. Well, you're going to see it's incredibly relevant. You see, this verse reveals a principle that is really important for us to understand, especially in transition times. And that's what this is. It's a transition time, right? Transition time in their life. They're going from his son being single to his son finding a wife. From, his, from Abraham being the patriarch who God's going to carry on the line through to Isaac becoming the leader that God's going to carry the family line on to. It's a transition time and, Isaac, and Abraham understands it as a significant time of transition. And what we want to talk about today is a principle that is really important in times of transitions. The end of one year, the beginning of another. The going from one stage of a life to going to the next stage of life. From single to married, from student to employee. You know, from, you know, from whatever to whatever, a time of transition. And the principle that we see in this verse that we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together is this. That in, time, that in life, it's important to look back to where you have come from in order to move forward to where you should go. That's a principle we're going to look at from this verse. That in life it is important to look back to where you have come from in order to move forward to where 
you should go. You see, friends, understand something. Our life is a journey, and God is teaching us and developing us along the journey of our life, um, and, and he is teaching us and using what he has taught us to impact where we're going to go and what our futures will look like. And this verse captures that idea. Abraham looks back over his life, and based on what he has learned from God over the past years of his life, he moves into his future and is confident that God will do action in his future to accomplish his plan. And I think uh, there are a couple of things that we can draw out of this that can help us as a church and as individuals as we walk into 2011. And the first thing is this. We need to look back to count our blessings and to learn from life's principles. Grab, look at verse 7 again. This is really what he's doing. Abraham's looking back. He's telling his servant, you know, i got a job for you to do, but he doesn't just say go do it. He looks back and he says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my land, the land of my birth, so he's remembering the journey that he came out of Mesopotamia and how he got to where he is in the promised land, who spoke to me, remembering how God had given him directions, and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He says, I look back and I see that God pulled me to a new place, that God spoke to me at times, that God gave me a promise that I'd have descendants, and God gave me a promise that I would have this land. Stop right there in the middle of the verse. Abraham starts his adventure of finding a son, a wife for his son, by looking back. And he says, look what God has done in my life. Abraham looks back and he recounts what God has done on his journey. He took him from his father's house in Mesopotamia. He led him to the promised land. He spoke to him many times of the blessings he had for him. He promised him that he would have a son. He promised him his son would become a nation. He promised him his son would become a nation with descendants that are so many that he could never even count all the people that would come out of his family line. Abraham looks back over the years, and with hindsight, he recounts the blessings. Well, friends, that's something God wants us to understand. Um, one of the blessings of hindsight, looking back, is that it gives us perspective. You see, often in Abraham's journey, as in ours, the things that turned out to be blessings in our lives appeared at first to be obstacles and problems. But now with the perspective of time, he can see how God has, has worked and he recognizes the blessings that God has brought into his lives. You see, in times of transition, friends, it's time to sit down and look back over your journey with the perspective of hindsight and look for the blessings that God has worked into your life and celebrate those blessings. That's what Abraham is really doing. In a very brief couple of verses, a couple of words, he looks back and he sees what God has done in his past. And he's basically celebrating. He's saying, I remember God brought me from this place. I remember that God made me promises. I remember that God said he'd give me the land. I remember that God said he'd give me a son. He recounts the blessings and he celebrates those blessings. But then here's the point. Then, when you gain the perspective and you see the blessings, which at first probably didn't seem like blessings, then you look for life principles that God is teaching you so you can carry those life principles forward into the life that you're living today and you're going to live tomorrow. You see, Abraham could look back and he could think about how God blessed him with Isaac. That's one of the blessings. He said, you're going to have descendants. You're going to, you're, and that was all about Isaac. He could look back and, and think about how, how God had blessed him with this wonderful child that was his child of a promise and now was 40 years old and ready to get married. 
but think about the life-changing lessons that he learned surrounding that blessing of Abraham, of, of Isaac. Think about the lessons as he looked back over his life and thought about the birth of his son. All the lessons he could say, I learned from that promise that God fulfilled. He learned that God keeps his promises, didn't he? God gave him a promise. And he learned that God keeps his promises when God gives him a promise. But he also learned that when God gives a promise, those promises don't usually come when or how you expect them to come. He thought God said, I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have a son? Well, obviously my wife's going to get pregnant. Well, they went year after year after year after year until his wife was 90 and he was 100. And everybody had given up hope and he had given up hope. And he learned, though, that, you know what, when God gives a promise, he keeps his promises. When he looked back, he saw that. But he also saw that God keeps his promises, but they usually don't come when or how you expected them to come in your life. He also learned that, that God keeps his promises, yes, but you can mess up or complicate the situation by taking the matters into your own hands. When he looked back and he thought about his son, you know what else he thought about? I bet she thought about Ishmael. He thought about the son that wasn't of promise. He thought about the time that him and his wife said, you know what, God said we're going to have heirs and, and maybe the way we can have heirs is, you know, I can give you my, my servant girl and you can, you can have relations with her and she'll have a child and that child can be, this, can be our heir. And they went and took matters into their own hands and it became a mess and eventually ended up that Abraham's wife wanted her killed and uh, Abraham had to send him away. You know, that God keeps his promises but oftentimes we can mess up uh, the path if we take the promises into our own hands. You know what else he learned as he looked back? He looked back that God may give you the desire of your heart, give you the son that he always promised you, but then he may ask you to sacrifice it to prove to him and to yourself where your allegiances really lie. He can say, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and take him to that mountain and sacrifice him there. And Abraham took his son Isaac and he went to the mountaintop ready to sacrifice him on the mountain to show God, God, you're number one in my life. Friends, God wants us to look back and to learn from what we have walked through in our lives. Well, friends, when I sit down and when I look back over the life of Portview Church in 2010, it's a transition time. When I look back over the life of this church in 2010, I see incredible blessings and the revelation of principles that as a church and as individuals, we need to, we need to, to live by. Think about the blessings. That's what he did. He thought and he recounted the blessings. Think about the blessings. In 2010, one year ago, almost to today, one year ago we launched Pastor Lisa and North Shore Church. Started a brand new congregation out of this church. One year ago. In the last year, in 2010 also, we have saw dozens and dozens of people make, make a response and say, I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord in this congregation. In 2010, as we look back, we remember that we right here baptized 22 people who said, I want to, give, I, I want to take a stand. I want to say, not only have I, have I said I love Jesus, but I am going to say, you know what? Um, I'm standing up and going to be counted. 22 people. In 2010, we added Pastor Mitch and Amy. What an incredible blessing to our church family. Amen? An incredible blessing to our staff. 2009, we added, we added the Welch. It's 2010, we added the Lewis. God is doing incredible uh, things in developing the ministry team of our church. In 2010, we added a whole bunch of you. 
Some of you weren't here in 20, 2009 and you're here in 2010. You're expanding our family. You're, you're bringing fullness to our family. You're bringing your gifts and abilities to fa- this family. God is developing you in this church family in 2010. In 2010, some of you have made a decision to serve Jesus. You've never done that before. 2010 has been an incredible year. In 2010, as we look at the structure of it, and Pastor Paul and I talk about this often, we have developed the ministry structure of this church church very, very um, well. In 2010, it's all a plan. We've got a plan in place of having kids' services or family services tie in with the big picture we have of integrating what the kids learn in kids' church and what they learn on Wednesday nights with what the adults are doing. It's a very strategic plan because this is our plan. Our plan is to say we don't want to just make people excited to come to church. We want kids to live for Jesus after they get out of mom and dad's house. And it's all about process. And in 2010, we've taken great steps in the development of our kids, development of our adult ministries, so that we can have people live long-term for Jesus. We've made great strides for that in 2010. In 2010, we saw people healed. People said, I was sick, the doctor said there was no hope, and I was prayed for, and I'm better today. And the doctor said, I don't get it. You know, we celebrated some of those things today. We've been celebrating them all along in 2010. And when I look back over 2010, one of the things I look at and I say, that's one of the most amazing blessings of all, is that there is an incredible sense of of peace and blessing that rests upon our church family. You know, I've I've preached in hundreds of churches in my life. And I'll tell you if you don't understand this. What you experience in worship today is not the norm. Having people filled with joy, celebrating, worshiping, that is the reality of the presence of God in the lives of the people who make up the body of this church. Friends, we are experiencing the blessing of God in the church. As we sit down, like Abraham did, before he looked to the next level of the journey, before he looked to what God is doing, he looked back and he he counted his blessings. We've got a lot of blessings to recount. But then, like Abraham, we've got to think, now what life principles do we draw from looking back over this last year? Well, I think like like Abraham could look back and think of all the things he could have learned about Isaac. I think there's a whole bunch of things that we can mention. But I feel that the Lord led me to just point out one today. That is a life lesson that we can draw by looking back over 2010, and it's this. And it's one that I think God wants to use to impact the life of each and every person in this room. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for churches. It's for individual believers in Jesus Christ, and it's this. It's that God blesses spirit-led risk-taking. That that, and I look back over 2010, what I see is the principle that rises to the surface like cream to the top is that God blesses spirit-led risk-taking. Just one year ago today, we as a congregation took an incredibly huge risk, and maybe some of you didn't realize how big of a risk it was. We took an incredibly huge risk. One year into a transition that in most places destroys a church. You almost you, you look at the history of the Assemblies of God in Wisconsin, Northern Michigan. To this date, not one church has successfully transitioned from a 20-plus year pastor to a new pastor and ever continue to advance. Not one example that breaks that mold. And we said we're going to see it be different. We follow a tw- in one year of a transition from a 30-year pastor who's beloved, who did a phenomenal job in building a church. We said in one year into that, which is a time of, of great transition and great, great turmoil at that time, we said, you know what? God is leading us to launch a congregation. 
Some of you know the story, but my second day here two years ago, just over two years ago, a staff pastor came to me who had been here on staff for five years and in the church for 12 and said, my second day, God wants me to plant the church 10 miles down the road. I had a choice to make. Would I say okay or would I say you're fired <laughs> like to Donald Trump? Because in most cases in the church world, it would be Donald Trump, you're fired. Because it would say that church can't handle that. Let me be honest, when that, when that opportunity came and we allowed it to, 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 to grow for a year and then launched it off one year ago, when we launched that church plant, um, it scared me to death. When we said, not only will we allow it, but we will continue to pay the pastor's salary and we will bless it and we'll encourage people to join with it, it scared me to death because I knew when I talked to the pastor about it that it had the possibility of destroying this church. Not because of the personalities involved, but because of history. Church history says if you would do that, generally it caused a complete divide and the church will split and the mother church will cease to exist. We knew as a group, as a leadership team, as a board, that a large group of people would go. We knew that it would take a lot of resources, financially and ministry resources of people, away from our church, and that it would actually increase our obligations because we were continuing to pay a salary of a person who is not on staff anymore. It would increase our obligations all in a year what people were saying was the worst economy in history since the Great Depression. We knew all of that, but we believed the Lord had said that it was of Him, and so we blessed it. That's what we did in 2010. And now, with perspective, only one short year of time, we can look back already in one year, and we can already see the blessings of God for being obedient to taking a risk that was led by Him. As a congregation, friends, we are thriving. You are thriving as individuals. This church is doing Incredibly well. The evidence of God's blessing is all around us. We've been celebrating it all day today. Portview is doing wonderfully. And North Shore, the church plant, continues to advance and develop and to reach people that we as a congregation could never reach because we don't live where they live. It's all good. What's the life lesson we learned from looking back? When Abraham looked back, he saw all kinds of lessons. What do we learn from looking back? We learned that God blesses spirit-led risk-taking. That's what we learned that God blesses spirit-led risk-taking. Now, friends, here is the question then that rises out of that. What risk is God calling you to in 2011? What is God calling you to do that's beyond what you think you can do? What business venture is He calling you to? What, what ministry opportunity is He calling you to? What is God calling you to do? What step of faith is He calling you to take in, 20, in 2011? What risks is God calling Portview as a church to, to take in 2011? You know what? You probably don't know yet. And we as a congregation don't know yet. We don't know. But 2010 has proven to us that if we take the risks that God puts before us, that He will bless us beyond measure. And this day in 2011 is proof that God blesses spirit-led risk-taking. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's evident. It's all around us. Now, that brings us, and we're, it's going to be very uh, briefly, I want to look at this. It brings us to the second thing that we can draw out of this story, because you said you stopped halfway through reading the, the verse. You're going to see that really is saying what I'm saying it's saying. It brings us to the second thing we can draw out of this story, the story of Isaac and Rebekah. We need to look back. This is, the, this is the second point. We need to look back to be empowered 
to go forward. Look at verse 7 again. It says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He's looking back and he's rehearsing. This is what God has done in my life. And then he transitions right here. See, there's a comma. He says, And he will, not might, he will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son there. He looks back and he recounts what God has done. And based on what God has done, he stands and he looks in the face of his servant and he says, and he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. Abraham looked back at what God had done. And based on God's past involvement, he knew God would bless the future. He knew God would come through because God had always come through. And all the times, even when he tried to botch it up, even when he said to the, to the king, you know what, that's not my wife, that's my sister. But that king takes her and says, you know what, I'm going to have her as my own. And God has to intervene and say, dummy, I'm going to do a miracle through you. I know she's going to be 90, you're going to be 100, but just hang on. Hang on, I've got a miracle in store for you. Even when he tried to botch it up, he knew. He learned, God will come through. And congregation, if we will listen, if we will listen to the voice of God. He will ask us to do things that are beyond our abilities. It was beyond our abilities to give one-third of our congregation away to a church plant and over $100,000 in annual giving from that group of people. I want you to do yourself a favor right now. Turn and look around at the congregation. Look at the sanctuary. There's not hardly any seats left. One year into it. God is blessing us. If we will listen to the voice of God, He will ask us to do things that are beyond our abilities, and He will push us to take risks that are in the natural seem dangerous and costly and impossible. He will do that if we listen to His voice. But He, he doesn't have to do it just blindly. He says, but if you look back, you can see my faithfulness. You will see that I will, I will empower you to go forward with the things I called you to do and you can trust me because I did it before. Friends, it doesn't matter what he calls us to tomorrow. The, point we can go, the reason we can go forward is because he's come through yesterday. And that's what he's trying to get us to understand today. Does that make sense? That we can take risks tomorrow. And God's going to ask you to do some dangerous things. He's going to ask you to do some things that don't make sense. He's going to ask you to give beyond your abilities. He's going to ask you to minister to hard people. He's going to ask you to take the incredible risks. The church isn't an organization. The church is people. And for this church to advance, he's going to challenge you to do things that are beyond you. And you know how you know you can do them? Because this is what people say, Pastor, I can't do it. I'm scared. I was scared to death on my second day here, and I know what's probably coming down the road. A beloved person from the church says, God wants me to go 10 miles down the road and start a church. I was scared to death, but I believe God was in it. And as a leadership team, we believe God was in it. And we blessed it. And look at the results. Friends, God is amazing. And if we will trust Him, we look back and we see His faithfulness, we can trust Him to take risks in the future. Now I want to point out one thing about this. And that's how we're going to close today. One thing that, that is the key ingredient to this all working. If you don't get this point, we've we missed the entire thing. I said that he will challenge you to do big things if 
we listen to his voice. And that God blesses spirit-led risk-taking. I didn't just say he led, he blesses risk-taking. That's right. Decide I want to go jump out of a perfectly good airplane like somebody I know back there would. <laughs> Talks about last night. That might be fun. Jumping off a bridge, Pastor Paul. We heard found out about that last night. Okay? Uh, I'm talking about I'm being funny now. Okay, I'm not a real funny guy, so I'm trying to be funny. <laughs> but the thing is, God blesses spirit-led risk-taking. If we listen to his voice... He will challenge us to do things beyond ourselves. Friends, understand this principle right here. God's miraculous intervention is tied to following his leading. Does that make sense? God's miraculous intervention, when he calls you to something impossible, is tied to following his leading, and that is tied to, be, to being spiritually sensitive. Makes sense? You can't follow his leading if you don't hear his voice. And friends, that is tied tied to spending time with God in prayer and fasting. If you want the miraculous out here, it starts down here with living a life of prayer and fasting and devotion to God. And then we are sensitive, and as we're sensitive, then we hear His voice, and we hear His voice, then we follow Him into the miraculous. You can't have the miraculous unless you start down here with dedicating yourself to a life of fasting and prayer and spiritual discipline. That's where it all begins. And that is why, as a church, for the last number of weeks in your bulletin and your inserts, we've talked about it, that we are calling each of you to be involved in our commitment to prayer and fasting over this next week. Because I want to see God do impossible things. And if it's going to happen out there, it's going to start in things like tonight. When we get sensitive to hearing His voice. We have corporate prayer tonight at 7 o'clock. The game will be over. You can make it. Listen to it on the radio, the final, if it's not over, if it's an overtime, as you drive to church. As much as I want to see the Packers win, I couldn't really give a rip if they win. If I have to compare, i got a way out. Getting, hearing God's voice on something or watching a sporting event. Who really cares? It's really about God. That stuff falls away. Guys, we talked about it yesterday. That stuff falls away when you're really connected to the Lord. Not that it's unimportant, not that you don't care, but it loses value. So tonight, 7 o'clock, we'll have corporate prayer. We're going to have it every, generally always the second Sunday night of the month for the rest of the year. This week we said we have home prayer meetings, Monday night and Tuesday night. Wednesday night, the last half hour of our time together, we'll have corporate prayer. Friends, I encourage each of you to make some commitment to fasting and prayer this week. At least skip a meal or two and spend that time with the Lord by yourself, seeking His will, hearing His voice, and becoming sensitive to what He has for you. You know, or do a longer fast. Join me in a fast throughout this week. Why do we fast and pray? Because we want to hear God's voice as He calls us to do the miraculous. Let's stand together this morning.